In partnership with Trauma-Free World, the International Network of Children's Ministry presents Trauma-Informed Children's Ministry, a podcast dedicated to equipping children's ministry teams in order to elevate trauma-informed care of kids and families in the church. We believe children's ministry is the most futuristic and strategic ministry of the church. When you're on the front lines of this key ministry, you need to be informed about how to effectively serve today's kids and equipped to create environments where all kids can meet with Jesus. And preparing you to do that is what this podcast is all about. Are you ready? Let's dive in. My name is Michaela White, and I get to serve as the Executive Director for INCM, as well as the host for this podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing trauma-informed environments, what it looks like for us to create safe spaces for all kids. We'll be digging into this topic with Julie Cooper and a special return guest, Kim Bado. This conversation will equip you to know how to nurture and develop environments where kids feel safe and where they can truly have the opportunity to connect with Jesus. To help us do this, Julie Cooper, who serves as the Senior Vice President of Training and Curriculum at Trauma-Free World, and I are thrilled to welcome back Kim Bado to this conversation. Now, Kim is the Director of Training and Development at Found Village, a nonprofit that equips teens from hard places with the tools and support needed to move from surviving to thriving. She's a trauma-free world affiliate trainer and a certified trauma and resilience trainer. And she has trained ministry leaders, parents, educators, and others who work with kids on trauma-informed and resilience-focused practices. For the past several decades, Kim has led kids and student ministries at local churches while also leading initiatives around adoption and foster care. Kim, we're so glad to have you with us again today. Yeah, it's fun to be back. Thank you. You know, as someone who's worked with kids for years, um, talk to us about the importance of environments and their ability to help or hinder kids. What are some things that we should be keeping in mind about environments as we approach this conversation today? Well, I think first, let's think about how environments affect us. You know, Michaela, have you ever walked into a party where maybe you felt a little uneasy? Maybe you didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Maybe you would just two weeks ago, gone to a party where you had a really bad experience. So because of that, when you walk into that environment, you might be looking for a safe little corner to hide where nobody will talk to you, or you're looking for a person that appears to be safe and welcoming that you can kind of latch onto Mm -hmm. and talk to them. Mm -hmm. So you think about that experience and then compare that to going into a party where you know exactly what to expect. You got the right clothes on, you know, that there's going to be dinner and they're going to meet your dietary needs. People are welcoming you. They're telling you where to sit. They're telling you what's coming next. Mm -hmm. Us looking at how environments affect us, I think will help give us the, just the emphasis, understand the emphasis that we need to put on what our environments, how they present to our kids, because kids are the same way. environments matter and we can do everything we can. And we can think this environment is so safe, but really it's important. We need to know that it's safe, but it's even more important that they feel safe in our environments. That's so, so good. So really what we're encouraging today is to elevate our awareness 
you know, to think about, you know, experiences we've had and allow that to develop some empathy and some clarity for how we're seeing the environments we're creating for kids. Um, And, you know, I don't think it's uncommon for us to talk about safety in the children's ministry world. That's a, that's a really important topic for us. Um, as children's ministry leaders. So, you know, Julie, it is a regular topic of conversation in children's ministry leadership circles. But when it comes to creating safe environments from a trauma-informed perspective, you know, that definitely broadens the conversation a bit. So what should we consider when it comes to safety from this point of view? And this is such a great question. This was perhaps maybe the first really profound Um, concept that as I learned about trauma-informed care completely changed my perspective from when kids are safe to when they feel safe and that it's not the same. Mm -hmm. So we we have to start with kids being safe, right? We have to have those check-in systems and we have to know where the fire escapes are and the doors. Like we have to have all of that. But that doesn't mean that that child feels safe, even though we've provided them a safe, a safe space to be in. Um, I love Kim, how you set that up about even think about ourselves. You know, I'm afraid of heights. Uh, My husband and I, we went, we went to New York city for our 25th anniversary. And he wanted to take me to the top of this skyscraper that had this glass wall at the top. I'm positive. I would have been safe. He could have brought out the plans and showed me the skyscraper architecture. Like, yes, you will be safe. I would not have felt safe. It wouldn't have been an enjoyable experience. I I would have been trembling. There's a difference. We know this. So put yourself in the perspective of a child who comes from maybe histories of neglect, abuse, abandonment, who does not think they can trust adults. And they're coming into your physically, yes, safe space. But we think that because we are there and we know we're safe, they're going to feel safe in our environment. Lots of research shows us this is not true. We've done lots of cortisol tests with kids who've been taken out of difficult situations, put into safe situations, and years later, they still have high cortisol. Um, So when we think about felt safety, it's more about the relational environment of our space. So, and again, that's not just that we're nice people, Um, you know, Yes, we are going to be nice people, but there there's cues we can give kids and there's ways we can support them to help them feel safe. So we support their physical needs. We make sure that we um, we watch our regulation. We keep our tone of voice safe. We get down on their level. This is one of the beautiful things of training is just exploring some of those little things like that, that I can do that signal to a child's brain you can feel safe. I know you are safe, but here's how you can feel safe. And it's, it's totally different. Yeah. I think it's a, a really important distinction that sets up our conversation. Well, you know, Kim, we've discussed in previous episodes, the ways that trauma impacts the biology of a child. So if we keep those effects in mind, you know, there's needs that we have to meet. And so what kind of options can we provide that allow kids to really thrive in our children's ministry environments and that will help them feel safe and that their needs can be met? Right. I'm, that's so good to point that out, Michaela, that yes, their body 
has needs Mm -hmm. that simply can't be addressed just through words. Yeah. Or like Julie said, an environment that we know is safe. So I think there's some, some needs that can be met with items such as headphones. Mm -hmm. Let's say you've got um, a child who has a very difficult time tolerating loud noises and they determine what loud is. We might think it's not that loud, but to them, it may just be too much. Mm -hmm. So just having a pair of noise canceling headphones in the room and then working with that child. So they know when they start feeling that, that it's getting too chaotic and loud that they can go and put those headphones on. And because every kid is unique, we're going to need a variety of tools. So just a set of headphones in the back isn't going to do it for all the kids. But that is a that's a great easy way to start. Another thing is just some manipulatives. Kids might just need to get some things out, and they can do that by having something in their hand, like a squishy ball or a fidget toy. It can really help calm them. And we have used occupational therapists in the church who maybe work with kids all week and they're saying, you know, I, I don't think I can work with kids in a room on the weekends, but they will come in and observe and occupational therapists are great people to give you ideas on some things to help kids, particularly with sensory needs. And then as you were talking about the needs of the body, because of the trauma that's happened to it. We had, we had a child, I went, I went and visited one of our sites and there was an elementary child who they told me, you have got to sit within arm's length of him because he's disruptive. He pokes people, he can't sit still. And I'm like, okay. So I sat by him and sure enough, when everything got quiet and the expectation was you sit still and keep your hands to yourself, his hands were everywhere, but on himself, they're on everybody else. And so I think the first thing of that is maybe our expectations weren't reasonable. (laughs) Yeah. What I did, what I did for him is I gave him the option of going in the back of the room and just walking back and forth or sitting on the chair. He went in the back of the room, walked back and forth behind large group for the entire time. And then at the end, when they're asking questions and these weren't just yes, no questions. These were like deep thought provoking questions. He was more in tune than anybody else. Because this child's body needed to move in order to listen. So, and, you know, I was talking about occupational therapists. We had another child who for months had just had a terrible time in large group. Mm -hmm. And so I went to occupational therapists and said, what, like, what do we do? And she goes, oh, do squat jumps. I'm like, okay, great. Like, what's a squat jump? Julie, you probably know what a squat jump is. It's it's the kid. What we did is before he went into large group, he would stand in the hall with his leader and he would squat as low as he could get. We'd say, just bury yourself in the floor, get as low as you get, and then jump and touch the sky. Go as high as you can. He would do this like 10 or 15 times until he wanted to stop. And this child, it totally transformed his experience in large group. Wow. Because of the experiences that he had had in the past, his body simply had some movement that needed to happen before he could go into that large group environment. Mm -hmm. So just being aware and being curious and just trying some new things. Yeah. I really appreciate the... Um, the wisdom you had to say in our, in our church family, there might be someone with expertise and gifts that could observe 
and give us ideas. Um, so inviting in those occupational therapists, I think is brilliant. And then also just being aware, sometimes these needs can be met with um, items. Other times they it might be movement or an exercise. So just recognizing that that child has needs physically that can be met with different um, different items or different exercises, but also being aware of the experts in your church that you can invite in to help you assess what's happening. And the other thing that I heard as you were processing through this was all of those children were unique, right? And and so right. just having having that awareness for the child is really important. Yeah, and, and I'll say too, Michaela, talking about the occupational therapist, that is, I mean, look around and there may be people who don't want to go into a room with a kid, but they're willing to sit out in the hall during large group and yeah. be a safe place for kids who can't tolerate the noise in the room. Yep. Yeah, that's good. You know, um, Julie, we've, and that ties into, I think, where we need to go with there is more to a safe and loving environment than the layout of it, or even the things that are in it that we use. What do you feel like we need to remember about the way interactions happen in the environments we're responsible for? And how do, how do we build that part of the environment to be what it needs to be? Yeah. Oh, there's so much we could say here, but, um, you know, actually, I was just reminded of a story as Kim was talking that ties into this, um, that I want to share quickly. So my, my daughter was volunteering um, in a, a room at our church, and there was a little boy who came in with a, his own truck. He had brought it from home, um, and it was time for some kind of teaching, and the teacher of the room kept insisting that he put his truck to the side, and he would kind of freak out, get a little dysregulated, and my daughter said she was like, she could tell he needed that. He needed his truck. For some reason, it was bringing him safety. Safety. It was maybe a reminder from home. Maybe he was nervous, you know, and my daughter said she'd like go over and sneak it and give it back to the kid. And he'd kind of be running it on the table in front of him and the teacher would see it. No, she'd go take the truck away. Um, So the idea that kids need to, first of all, that was clearly his safety item and he needed some flexibility, but also the idea, we have this idea. I think education has done us a disservice, frankly. We have this idea that in order for kids to be paying attention, they must be sitting absolutely silent and not moving. And the fact is that's actually not true. And that's not even the best way we learn. We learn better when we're active. Um, But in our mind, and I really think it's our need for control, frankly, that we think all the kids need to be sitting there. So besides the layout and and the things that are there, what really is on us is to make sure kids have a voice and they have a choice. I need, uh, you know, like Miss Kim, I need those headphones. Like everyone's having a fun time in worship but it's loud and it's crazy. And we think all kids love that. If my, if my home environment was loud and crazy, that, that actually may be what's keeping me from connecting with Jesus. I may need those headphones or I might need to be able to ask, can I step out into the hallway? Exactly. Like Kim said, mm-hmm. kids need a choice. And, you know, I just, I'll mention that's not even just kids who come from trauma. That also could be kids who just have high anxiety. That's right. Um, right. So kids who come from like a a loving home, but for whatever reason, they're coming in with high anxiety Mm -hmm. and they need to know things like I can go to the bathroom when I feel like I need to go to the bathroom. I can step out when I'm feeling overwhelmed. I can, I can get my phone out and text my mom real quick and just have that attachment connection. And I think after COVID 
we know, we know for sure kids are coming in with more anxiety. So that, that flexibility, that on us to give voice and choice is going to be more important now, I think than ever. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more, Julie. And I'm, I'm just encouraged with this reminder that as believers and those who, um, have God's word and look in God's word, we don't need to feel bound by the current structures mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the classroom environment. Like yeah. we can do it differently. We can, we can um, be more like Jesus and exploring, you know, the people that he's entrusted us with and what they need and redesigning, you know, the space, the environment, the structure, how we do what we do so that kids can come to Jesus, not because there's a lot of shoulds in place of what it needed to look like or, or, you know, what maybe previous expectations were. What if, what if we do it differently and, Mm -hmm. and use the creativity and the empathy that God's given us to approach these kids and offer an environment where they really can meet with Jesus. So I, I just really hope that the leaders listening today are encouraged that you really do have an opportunity to pioneer your space. It doesn't have to be bound by what things looked like previously. And I just want to add on to what Julie was saying. I think one thing that we as leaders can do before we tell a child, you can't have that toy or you can't stand up during small group. Let's consider how it's affecting them and others around them because the, the, the story that Julie told about the little boy with the truck, was it really bothering anybody? I mean, if it's not bothering anybody, let him hold on to that truck. And Michaela, as you said, we don't know what that truck means to him. I had a kid once who brought all his goodies in a bag all the time. We were always trying to put it on shelves and take it away from him. He would absolutely just melt down. What we found out is he was a foster kid who'd been taken away from home sometimes at the last minute and his treasures were all over the place. So this was a really, really smart kid. This kid has figured out not to how to lose his treasures. So what he did was bring his toys from home into the environment. And I think sometimes we have these hard, fast rules like no outside toys in our environment. And we just need to pause, take a deep breath and think, is this really a hill that we want to die on? Is that little truck in that little boy's hand really going to keep children from hearing about Jesus and growing in their faith? And if it's not, let them keep the truck. Yeah. I I think that's important for us to consider, Kim, and to have higher degrees of flexibility in our in our leadership and the environments that we create for the sake of the kids that we're trying to reach. So, you know, just as we come to the end of this episode, Kim, what do you feel like is a simple next step for a leader who wants to see their environments grow towards being more welcoming to kids who've experienced trauma? What's a, what's a good next step for them? Well, kids who've experienced trauma have often had really unpredictable and unexpected things happen to them and to come their way. So one simple step that we can do to create a safe environment, not just for kids from trauma, but really for all kids, is to make sure that our environments are predictable. Yeah. We can still have tons of fun. 
We can still introduce surprises. But what I like to tell our leaders is assume that kids are in your room for the very first time. Even though you can look, you might be able to look around and go, no, all of these kids have been here before. Assume they've been here for that they're here for the very first time. So explain, hey, in five minutes, we're going to pick up the toys and then we're going to line up at this door. Okay. Um, hey, we're coming out of large group now. We're going to go to small group. Don't assume that they know what to do in small group, even though they've done it 15 times before. Say, we're going to go to small group and we're going to sit in a chair and we're each going to grab a marker. Give them instructions, and that will go a long way to helping kids to feel safe. That's so, so important. Um, Grateful for you, Kim, being a part of the conversation with Julie and I today. And thank you, friends, for listening. We hope it equipped you to elevate trauma-informed care in your children's ministry. In our next episode, Julie and I will continue the conversation by digging into how we build safe communities around the kids and families that we serve. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. To learn more about INCM, you can get connected to what you need to serve kids and families at incm.org. And if you're ready to take intentional steps forward in trauma-informed care, Connect to the resources from our partners at Trauma Free World at traumafreeworld.org. We're so glad you joined us today. We're here to support you and we're cheering for you always, friends.